As we approach the Easter season, I, I felt led to speak on the subject of death. Some of you may remember Willie Keith, the young ensign in the book and movie, The Cane Mutiny. At a point in that story, a sailor comes to Willie Keith and gives him a cigar. May have been his first cigar, not sure. And they talk a while, and the sailor leaves to go to his battle station. Just at that time, a bomb is dropped from an enemy plane right on the spot where that sailor is standing, and he's killed. And the author writes, while the smoke of the dead sailor's cigar wreathed around Willie, he thought for the first time of death and life and luck and God. Philosophers are at home with these thoughts, perhaps, but for those of us, others of us, it's torture when these concepts, not these words, but the realities, burst through the crust of the daily occurrences and grip our souls. The Willie Keith that snuffed out his cigar on the railing that night was not the Willie Keith who lit the cigar. That boy was gone for good. There comes a moment in everybody's life when the reality of death thrusts itself upon us. An ancient philosopher said, when we're young, we know we're going to die, but then we don't believe it. As we mature in age, we know we're going to die and then we believe it. For some strange reason, when I reached the age of 40, I started looking at the obituary columns. True story. And I can't help but do this. Every time I look at an obituary, I subtract my age from the age of the guy who died to see how much longer I have to live. Death is a subject we don't like to talk about. We don't like to even think about it. I suppose that of all of the experiences of life which is more dreaded by more people, death is it. And the one topic about which people are reticent to speak is the topic of death. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a Swiss psychiatrist, came to the University of Chicago Hospital to do some graduate study. It was a part of her program to interview all the terminally ill. So she went to all the wards of that great hospital and asked for the charts of the dying, and there were none. Oh, there were people dying all right, but nobody, not even in the medical community at that time, was willing and ready to confront its reality. I wonder why. The Chinese are taught by a dark superstition that to name something, however casually you speak about it, is to invite it to befall you. And so they never talk about, in direct terms, death and accident and pain and disease. They talk around it. Now, we may deny this morning that we're superstitious, but we don't like to talk about death either, lest we bring it nearer. I suppose that everybody here this morning is aware 
of his inevitable farewell to earth. But there are some people who seem to cultivate the illusion that I can postpone that about which I refuse to think or I can divest of all terrors that about which I refuse to speak and it is a dangerous position to assume. As a matter of fact, he was right who said, a person is really not equipped for life until he's ready to die. The person who stubbornly turns his back on the reality of death and refuses to think about it or talk about it cannot get as much out of life as the person who faces the reality of it and seeks to understand what it is and what it does. For all of life is lived in light of the end and all of the present is lived in light of the inevitable tomorrow. And nobody can really make sense out of life until he comes to terms with its termination. Jean-Paul Sartre said, living existence is bounded by birth and death, and no man has ever found anything yet that can uh, help him avoid that final boundary. Did you know that the first dialogue between God and man is recorded in the second chapter of Genesis, the first time God and man conversed and God is talking to him about death. And if you turn the Bible all the way over to the next to the last chapter, God is still talking to man about death. And interwoven between in the pages of this book is a carefully developed theology of death. Lofton said that the greatest question that confronts us today is the question of death. And so this morning, in the time that remains, I want to ask some questions concerning the greatest question that confronts us. And the first question is this. Now, you'll have to have your Bible open and ready to look. And if you want to do a little more than that, you may want to take a note or two and write it down. If this is the most important question that confronts us, it sure is necessary that we have some answers. The first question is this. What is death? Does anybody have a definition of death? And I refer you to two passages of Scripture. You can start finding them now. The first is 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. And the second passage is Hebrews 4. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 12, or reading verse 12, verse 23, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and Hebrews 4.12. Now before any of us is able to understand what is death, 
I think it's important for us to understand how God made us, how we're made. And the answer to that is found in the 23rd verse of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the scripture says that God has made us into two parts. Now I want to say parenthetically at this point that I am aware of the danger of getting into the dichotomy. I know that's a Greek uh, pagan concept and I'm aware that man cannot be dichotomized, that he is a unity. I'm aware that man does not have a soul. He is a soul. The, the Bible says that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And I'm not going to get into the debate of the difference between the soul and the spirit. That's about as relevant as how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. But for our understanding, and it seems, it appears that the Bible is saying to us that God has made man two-part man. He is soul, spirit, and body. Now for our understanding, I want to deal with it like that. There is of man that which is invisible and intangible and inward. That is, man has, or man is soul spirit. He, that is the part of man which is inward and invisible and intangible and immortal. It is a life principle that man will always have. His soul spirit cannot die. But man is also made a body, an anatomy, that is the outward part of man. It is external, it is visible, it is tangible, and it is mortal. Now would you look with me to the fourth chapter of Hebrews, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now the author of the book of Hebrews is describing the ability of the Word of God to go where the surgeon's knife cannot go, cannot penetrate. And the Word says that the Word of God is alive and active and it's able to pierce to the soul spirit, to the intangible, the invisible, the immortal part of man. Now this is the way man is made. He is made invisible and intangible and immortal. But he has a body that is the external, the wrapping of the soul spirit, 
which is tangible and mortal, which dies. And hear this, and death occurs when the soul spirit departs from the body. When that which is invisible and intangible and inward and immortal departs this frame, this external, this wrapping, this body, that's when death occurs. Always there is separation at death, the separation of the soul spirit from the body. Now I brought this glove, really prepared. Somebody says that what you see means a lot more than what you hear. And so I went and got me these surgeon gloves yesterday. I'm going to put it on. The glove, you know, looks like, looks like me. It even has kind of the color of my flesh. But the hand that's inside that glove is the real me. And the glove is the external, the wrapping, the case on the outside of the real me. When death occurs, this is when death occurs, when the essential self, when the soul spirit departs from the glove, from the wrapping, from the external, from the outward and the mortal, that's when death occurs. Ladies and gentlemen, there's coming a time when all that's going to be left of us on earth is the wrapping, is the shell. And what we put in the casket and what we place in the grave is just the shell, is just the external form, is just the outward casement. It's like the glove. The essential being has departed the body. Now the second question. How extensive is death? I want to refer you to two passages of Scripture. One is the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, verse 12. Romans 5, 12. And the other is 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Now Romans 5, 12 says or reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Now, death and sin are Siamese twins. They're inexorably related. Now, Paul is contending that because of sin, death came into the world. And death spread to all men because all have sinned. It is appointed unto men once to die. Now you recognize that the Apostle Paul is talking about that dialogue that God had with Adam that I mentioned in the introduction. And God said to Adam, if you sin, if you eat of this forbidden tree, you shall surely die. And Adam sinned. He ate of the forbidden tree and instantly he died spiritually. Now watch this. If always there is separation in death, 
And if a definition of death is the separation, the separation of the soul spirit from the body, then spiritual death is the separation of the soul spirit from God. And the moment Adam sinned, he was separated from God. It does not mean the cessation of existence. It means a living existence in alienation from its creator so that every unbeliever, every person who has not been born again is now spiritually dead. Occasionally, I didn't even look this morning, occasionally we have flowers, cut flowers, sitting on this, on this ornament table. They're lovely, they're beautiful, but they're dead. Now, they look alive and they're fragrant, but they're dead because they have been separated from their root source, from their life source. Eldon Trueblood says, ours is a cut, cut flower civilization. We may be alive and flourishing and beautiful now, but we have been cleaved from our rootage. To be spiritually dead means to be separated from God, and that experience happens the moment one sins against him. But physical death is the separation of the soul spirit from God, and that has passed to all men. The unbeliever, Adam, sinned against God, was spiritually dead instantly, and he began to die. There are two billion people on this planet today. In 50 years, most of them will be dead. And 100 years from now, there'll just be a handful left, for death has passed to all men. I was listening to the uh, television one night on vacation, and this announcer uh, of the, it was the Chicago Cubs were playing baseball, and the announcer was Keith Jackson, and he said, Bobby Mercer is coming to the plate, and Bobby Mercer is, is pledged to hit a home run tonight for a young boy in the city of Chicago who is dying of leukemia. He said that about four times. Bobby Mercer did hit a home run that night, and they made a big deal of it, that Bobby Mercer was hitting for this boy in Chicago who was dying of cancer. Their phone lit up, for the little boy didn't know he was dying of cancer. And he was watching, listening to the ball game. It was, it was supposed to be that he was going to hit a home run for this boy who was greatly ill. Keith Jackson didn't know that the little boy didn't know he was dying and they just lit up the phone. It was a humiliating, tragic e event. When the moment of death thrusts itself upon us, it's difficult to accept, but you and I know it in our mind if we've not internalized it. There's coming a day when all that is left of us is the external shell. Now that's the rule. All are going to die. We've said it in terms like that's an appointment everybody's going to keep. But for every rule, there is an exception. There are two people that we know about in history who departed this life without dying. One of, them's name, one of the men was named Enoch, and the other was named Elijah. 
and they departed this life without death, without dying. Their soul spirit went without death. That's the rule. And there's another rule. You, are, you may depart this life without dying if you are alive when Jesus comes back. Now the scripture says that there'll be the trumpet shall sound and heaven will cleave asunder and Christ will come on clouds of great glory. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. Now what he meant by that was that this body of ours can't make it through eternity. This mortal must put on immortality and this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal, this glove, this shell is not fit for a heavenly, heavenly habitation. And so if we're alive when Jesus comes in the twinkling of an eye, this body of ours will be changed. And the poet said it, O joy, O delight, that we should go without dying, no suffering, no separation, no pain, no crying, caught up into the clouds with our Lord into glory when Jesus receives his own. And it might be today that that happens. If Jesus comes back today in the twinkling of an eye, this outward shell will be transformed and changed. We'll not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. That'll be a glorious thing if it happens today. Preacher friend I heard speaking not long ago said, a guy told him, said, I've got a perfect title. I've got a great title for a sermon. You may give it to him. He said, yeah. He said, give it to me. He said, man, this is a great title. The title was, Gabriel is licking his lips. What he meant was, he's getting ready to blow. Now, you and I, we've said this a lot of times, and we've expressed it to one another perhaps, but I'm here to tell you, many of us have a feeling that we are nearing the end of this earthly existence. That Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back in glory, and he's coming soon. And if that happens, the body will be changed, and we'll depart this life without dying. But if he tarries his coming, everybody will die. Question three. And that's where I want to spend the rest of this time. Are you still with me? Shake your head like this. That's it. What's going to be the result of death? What happens at death? Now, what happens at death is determined by what happens before death. I believe it, and so do you, I think, that there is no change, no second chance after death. What happens at death or after death is determined by what happens before death. And there is a tremendous difference between what happens to the unbeliever at death than what happens to the believer at death. We're all going to be evicted from this old tabernacle. We're all going to die. 
But what happens at death is going to be greatly different from the unbeliever and the believer. Now I want to just briefly share what happens to the unbeliever, to the man who does not know the Lord. And I refer you to two passages of Scripture. One is the 16th chapter of the, of the Gospel of Luke. Turn to that, if you will. The 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And the other is the 20th chapter of Revelation, beginning at verse 11. Now the 22nd verse of chapter 16 starts like this. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, the abode of the dead, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, I wanted to read through 26, but the time is getting away. Let me turn, with, or turn now to Revelation 20 and look at verse 11. And I saw a great throne, white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged according to their deeds, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, what happens to the unbeliever at death? It seems to me that when the soul spirit leaves the body of the unbeliever, it goes to that place of torment called Hades. I'll refer to that in just a minute. And it is being in torment there until the second coming of the Lord or until the end of the ages of the ages and death and Hades give up their dead to the final doom. Now I'm aware this morning that I'm talking now about a subject we don't like to hear too often. In fact, I don't even like to preach about hell because I don't want somebody to label me uh, as a hellfire damnation preacher, I, you know, and, and that's what folks do. A few years ago, I preached at the Northwest Baptist Evangelism Conference. My subject was hell, and Manuel Scott preached after me, probably the greatest black preacher I've ever heard. He preached on heaven. I felt like I'd been taken to the cleaners when he got through. It's not a very popular subject, but folks, just because we don't like to, to, to see it or talk about it or hear it preached, it's still there. When the unbeliever spirit departs the body, it goes to the place of torment. I have in my library a book called Beyond Death's Door. Now, this book was written by a cardiologist in, Ch in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's not, uh, it's not book written by a, 
a tent, wild-eyed tent revivalist written by a cardiologist who has tremendous credentials, a Christian. Listen to the first paragraph on the, that, that's there, uh, 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 the color statement about him. I was resuscitating a terrified patient who told me he was actually in hell. He begged me to get him out of hell and to not let him die. When I finally fully realized how genuinely and extremely frightened he, he was, I too became frightened. Subsequent cases with terrifying experiences have burdened me with a sense of urgency to write this book. Now I feel assured there is life after death and not all of it is good. And the bottom part of this covered, this jacket uh, biography of this man says that he was an unbeliever, almost an agnostic, until he began to see this thing happening in the lives of unbelievers. And now he is a committed, dynamic Christian. Beyond death's door for the unbelievers is indescribable suffering and separation. Now what about the believer? So much to talk about here, such little time. About, give me five minutes. For the unbeliever, it is drastically different. First of all, because of the death of Jesus, death has been abolished for the unbeliever. That's the word the Scripture uses. Now you look up the definition of the word abolished, and it means to render with, as, as to have no effect. It means to reduce or to remove the strength of. When Jesus died vicariously for the believer, he rendered death helpless. The death of Jesus was the death of death. Paul talks about the removal of the sting in the death of Jesus. Dr. J.D. Gray said he saw a man one time had this tremendous wound on his neck, sore and inflamed. He said, what happened to you there, man? He said, a bee stung me. He said, about the only consolation I have is that that bee will not sting anybody else. He said, why, did you kill him? He said, no, but the bee has one sting, and that sting is lodged one time, and he's, he can't sting anybody else. The sting of death was lodged in the body of Jesus. Now, death may light on you, but it has no sting. Death has the power to, for a while, temporarily, have effect on this, on this shell, this glove. It will deteriorate to the dust. Death has an effect on it temporarily, but death cannot touch the soul spirit. It's rendered powerless by the death of Jesus. And by his resurrection, he demonstrated that there is a life that conquers death, even on the physical plane. For they rolled that stone back from the grave, not to let Jesus out, but so we could look in and see that death has been conquered even on the physical plane. For Jesus became the firstborn of the dead. That is to say, he conquered everything that conquers us, even death. Well, that's good news. Now the question sometime has come, and it was asked in my discipleship class just recently. 
what happens in isn't what happens in the interim between uh, physical death and the resurrection? I want you to look over at First Corinthians chapter five, or is it Second Corinthians? Let me look right quick. Chapter five. It's got to be Second Corinthians five. I want you to just hold the place there. Second Corinthians five. You got it, you'll hold it, hold the place. There is an Old Testament Hebrew word for death. It's the word sheol. In Hebrew, in which the Old Testament is couched and written, the word for the abode of the departed spirits is sheol. The counterpart word in the New Testament is the word Hades. And it is literally the place where the departed spirits go at death. But for the Jew, he, had a, he referred to that place where the departed spirits go as Abraham's bosom. And if you remember that 16th chapter of Luke, it says that the poor man went to Abraham's bosom and the rich man went to Hades, to the place of torment. Jesus refers to the thief on the cross as to this place as paradise. He said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now watch this. Prior to the ascension of Jesus, when he went back to the Father triumphantly, prior to that time, the departed believer's soul spirit went to Abraham's bosom that is a place of consciousness and fellowship and peace and freedom and joy. But after the ascension of the Lord, and some believe that in the period of time, in the three-day period of time, Jesus went to that place and released those spirits. But Ephesians seems to talk about the fact that Jesus took those spirits to glory with him triumphantly when he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So that after the ascension, as soon as the soul spirit leaves the body, it goes to heaven. Now you say, how can that be if there's a difference? Well, watch this. It has to be like that. For Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when Stephen died there being stoned, where did he see Jesus? He saw him at the right hand of God. So if to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then I have to be where the Lord is. That's, that's simple enough. And where is he? He's in the throne room with God the Father. So that as soon as the believer's soul spirit leaves the body, it goes to the presence of Almighty God into heaven. Now we have to be, to understand this, and this is, this is difficult and it boggles the mind, that even though the soul spirit goes to heaven, we are not in heaven in the completed form until the resurrection of the body. 
And this is what Paul means in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He said, the Spirit groans, waiting to be clothed, but, but because of the Jew just couldn't conceive of a bodily spirit. And so he said, this soul spirit groans while it waits for the body to join it. Now you say, well, does that mean we won't enjoy heaven? Of course it doesn't. Not any more than the fact that a little boy knows that one day he's going to be a man and he can't wait till it happens. We will have, we will not have sameness there, but we will have equality. We'll be in heaven and we will wait until Jesus comes back and that body will be raised and it will be reunited with the soul spirit forever and forever. And there's some things to be said about that, but there's no time. The important thing this morning that we deal with now is this. We all know that it is appointed unto men once to die. The important thing is, are you going to confront death as a believer or as an unbeliever? And some of you unbelievers, some of us are unbelievers here this morning, and we're just a heartbeat away from Luke 16. We're just a speeding car away from Luke 16. We're just a breath away from this torment. And there are some of us who are Christians this morning who have been saved, but will be saved only as by fire. There'll be nothing left of good. And so my invitation today is this. If you're present in this place today and you have never been born again, you've never experienced salvation, you've not trusted Christ in the saving, redeeming experience, would you come today to claim him as your Savior? The soul spirit is separated from God. He will reconcile you to the Father, and your name will be placed in his book. Would you come trusting Christ? Would you come accepting him as your Savior? Would you come claiming his salvation? Would you do it? And there may be others who, need, who, who would come today just a rededicate themselves to God to live, to pledge to live the last days on this earth for Him or to unite with His church. After we've prayed, we'll invite you to come.